Welcome back to the Trojan Talk Podcast. I'm Ryan Young, as always. We have a special guest today. We always have a special guest, but today's a special guest because we're going to thoroughly break down USC spring practice, which ended last Friday. We've had a few days to digest it, to compare notes, to uh, just let it sink in and, and marinate everything we saw and observed and the key takeaways and opinions. And I've been giving you my thoughts all spring, so... I don't want to just rehash everything that I've been I've been saying and spouting off for the last five and a half weeks. So we are going to be joined by Antonio Morales of The Athletic, one of the fine USC beat writers and good friend of mine, who always has, has a great perspective, and he's a guy that I often compare notes with after practice and, and trade thoughts with. So we're going to do that for you live on the podcast, and I'm sure he'll disagree with some of my opinions and Vice versa, so it'll be good to get a different perspective on things. But we're going to go through everything from the spring. We're going to go position by position, big picture, you name it. We're going to cover it all. Also today on the podcast, you will hear directly from USC's newest transfer edition, Malcolm Epps, the tight end from Texas, who announced on Monday that he was transferring to USC. We had a full story on this on Tuesday uh, from this interview but I promised that I would put the full interview up for those that wanted to listen to it. It's raw form. So you'll get to hear directly from Malcolm Epps. You will hear a lot from Antonio and myself. And this is our spring practice breakdown podcast. Strap in for some hot takes and some uh, disagreement and debate and a whole lot of opinion. Without further ado, let's get to the show. All right, we welcome in a good friend of mine, a great reporter, the one, the only, Antonio Morales of The Athletic. Antonio, how goes it? Good, Ryan. Thanks for having me on, man. Man, spring's over. Can you believe it? Yeah, it went by fairly quick. Uh, I thought it was going to take a while at the outset of it, but it went by fairly fast. I think, I think the basketball team and their run kind of distracted people a little bit during spring, and that made things go a little bit quicker. And, uh, you know, it, it sped things up a bit. No doubt. I, I think we learned a lot, though. I, I think there was a lot to take away from it. There were a lot of injuries. There was a, a lot of players missing, but we really got an ex- extended look at some guys for the first time, and I think uh, came away with a lot of opinions that maybe changed or developed over the course of those five weeks. Let's start general, and there's no limit here. There's no minimum, no maximum. What were your most significant takeaways from spring? And, and we'll just just kind of rattle them off, and then we can get deeper into them, and I'll give you mine as well. And obviously, I think everyone entered the spring with their, their eyes on the backup quarterbacks. I think it was one of the major one of the major storylines going in, and we had heard a lot about Jackson Dart and Miller Moss over the past four or five months previously, you know, prior to spring ball. So it was good to actually see them in person and see them throw. The, the coaches hadn't even really seen them much in person yet, so these guys are going to be the future of the quarterback position at USC whenever Keaton Slovis's career ends. Uh, so it was good to get a first, a first glimpse of them. And I know you've talked to people around the program and, you know, they've been really excited about both. And the things you heard about Jackson Dart and, and the hype he got, it was really interesting to see him in person. And I know you've seen him in person in high school, uh, but it was good to see him and see the playmaking ability. And I, I think, he obviously still has room to grow, but uh, th- there's some really positive flashes there, and I think that's what kind of separated him from Miller Moss towards the end of camp. 
towards the end of spring ball. And then obviously the offensive line was something that was going to be under the microscope too. And uh, there was plenty to be concerned about throughout the first couple of weeks of, of practice. And especially in the way things looked in the spring game. But I, I think they did pretty well relatively compared to how they looked the first two weeks. Um, in the final two weeks when they switched things up a bit. And the competitions there will be intriguing to watch at right tackle and and right guard. And we've seen guys make leaps and, you know, really surge ahead in some competitions like Jonah Monheim. And uh, obviously, you know, with that, we saw the, the defense as well and saw the defense of front seven who didn't have Drake Jackson most most of the time. So we saw guys like Tuli Tubalotu step up and take on – different responsibilities like dropping into coverage and standing up a linebacker kind of something he didn't really do a lot last year so it was interesting to watch that as well and seeing how the secondary played out and chase williams kind of you know taking taking charge of that safety spot we'll see if he can hold that up training camp rolls around but that was interesting to watch as well yeah, all those make my list. Obviously, you can't talk about spring ball without Jackson Dart, who really, I thought he got off to a slow start the first couple of weeks. Both quarterbacks did, but really started to assert himself and just get more confident and comfortable with each practice. And the fans saw it in the spring game, what he can do with his arm. We saw it also more behind the scenes, what he can do with his legs at times, uh, throwing on the run. That's definitely on my list. The, the O-line was obviously maybe the most important storyline of the camp just because everything hinges on that. And we did see Cortland Ford get a pretty much uninterrupted audition at left tackle. And we'll get more into that. And, and Jonah Monheim got the praise from Clay Helton as maybe having the best camp of anybody on, on the team. So that's definitely noteworthy. To me, those two for sure, the defensive line just really stood out to me this whole spring. And I, I thought, I mean, I know that they lose Brandon Peely. They've already lost you know, Marlon and Jay over the last year. There were some concerns about depth. I look at that line, I come away thinking this could be a really impressive unit, and I'm actually not that worried about the depth. We'll get more into that. And then uh, the secondary. You mentioned Chase Williams. I, I really want to get into him later and get your thoughts on him because I have I have mi- mixed thoughts, mixed feelings, just because he's been around for so long, and I feel like we've had this hype for him before, and it hasn't materialized. But he was certainly the guy that saved the spot all spring. But the one that stood out to me was Chris Steele. I just thought he, he was a man on a mission, a man possessed this spring. I mean, he came out and told us pretty bluntly that he wants to be an All-American. He wants to be an early-round draft pick. And I, you know, I'm not ready to project any of that stuff yet, but I really liked what he showed this spring. I think we're going to see the best version of Chris Steele. That's definitely the general overview. Let's go by position and just kind of break it all down more thoroughly. And let's start at the quarterback's. What impressed you most about Jackson Dart, and and do you think that there is still a competition to be had there, or are you just now convinced that he's the number two guy entering this season? I think it was the confidence and the playmaking ability that impressed me the most. This is a kid with a big arm, and he's not afraid to show it off. He, he, He wasn't hesitant when it came to letting the ball go deep and checking it deep. We saw that in practice plenty often. I, I think that's what kind of separated him from Miller Moss as well. I think Miller Moss didn't take as many shots as Jackson Dart did. I think Jackson wanted to push the ball a bit downfield more, and you know, he has the arm to do that. And obviously he has the playmaking ability, too, to make things happen with his legs. It's like um, when things break down and when you know the play isn't there, 
Jackson can make something happen with his legs and you know Miller's a, a good quarterback and he just can't he just doesn't have that ability so I think that's what kind of separates them I, I think the competition's still going on I think it's still ongoing but I, I think Jackson will win it at the end of camp and I think he'll eventually be the backup quarterback um, so that was kind of my takeaway from watching those two my thoughts exactly. I, it was his confidence, and and he did take more shots downfield, but he just never seemed to doubt himself. If he saw an opening to make a play, he let it rip and was pretty accurate. Uh, he had he had the bad interception in the spring game, but every quarterback had a bad interception in the spring game. And overall, I don't know that he had. Did he have another one all camp that we saw? Uh, not that I remember, not off the top of my head. Yeah, I, he had, he lost a few fumbles because he does try and extend plays and and let things develop and make things happen. That would have been maybe one of the knocks on him. But, yeah, the confidence and composure, and it just like I said, it kind of just mounted week upon week with him. And then, as you noted earlier, I had gone to see him in the Utah State Championship game, so I knew he was this mobile guy and, and a, a true dual threat. And what stood out to me that day was just how physical he was and how he embraced contact and just uh, was a very willing runner to, to put himself on the line for extra yards. We didn't see so many design runs or even a ton of true scrambles this spring. What stood out was his ability to just get out of the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and make plays on the move. And it's it's becoming more and more commonplace you know, in the, the Mahomes era of today's NFL and college football that – I think guys are practicing those throws more, but, but but to see him uncork those sidearm throws on the run with just great accuracy really stood out. So I, I think that's definitely what separated him was just a little more depth to his, his game and abilities and, and then just the confidence. I will say this on Miller Moss, though. We talked on the message board a lot this last year. What would the impact be for the California players who didn't have a season and who were coming in and hadn't played in over a year? And it's hard from the outside to quantify that and, and really say what the impact was. But Miller was one of those guys who didn't play his senior season and hadn't played in a long time. And Jackson Dart's coming off a state championship run, a 15-game or whatever season in Utah. It was right into winter conditioning, right in the spring ball. So I, I would assume that, that maybe there was some shaking off the rust and getting back into it for Miller. And I'm um, intrigued to see what version of him we get this summer just knowing his personality I, w- I would bet he's probably not overly phased by the way spring went he's always been kind of a pretty resolute confident guy so I don't think that he'll he'll kind of go into a hole because everyone's talking about Jackson Dart in his spring I think we'll see him make a surge this summer but it's going to be hard to to overtake Jackson Dart who's now really established that lead and and has shown all those qualities we mentioned. Obviously, the, it wasn't the storyline of, of spring, but we got to talk about Keaton Slovis, and I, I'm really interested to get your take here because I, I feel like I'm in the minority where I'm just not concerned about Keaton. And, yeah, it wasn't a great spring for him. He did have a, a lot of picks, honestly. Uh, at least two or three of them were were deflected and just kind of weird plays, but it just wasn't a crisp spring. It, it would have been great for him to, coming off of last year, all the questions. You had the great story with him getting introspective on maybe losing confidence last year and how not having a full off season probably bled into some of those struggles in the fall. 
And there's a lot of reason to, to put stock in all that and think, well, maybe now with a regular spring and regular offseason, that's behind him, and we're going to see the best version of Keaton Slovis. And it would have been great to see it right away this spring, and, and I guess we didn't, but I'm just not concerned. I, I think that he had nothing to prove this spring, and the more important factor was that the ball's coming out of his hand decently, at least from my eyes. You can tell me what you saw. And that... I'll be more concerned if it's a problem in August and obviously the first few games. What is your concern level with Keaton Slovis? I think my concern, my main concern is the velocity. I think the ball was better this spring. I don't think there was any butterflies or any 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 passes that were floating. But I think my main concern with him is just the velocity. And, you know, the velocity is kind of what defined his 2019, just so much zip on the ball. And he was able to, to place it anywhere. And he was, he was more confident throwing in the middle of the field and, and things like that. I, I think we saw him hesitate more with some of those throws last year. And the velocity wasn't really there. And I, I think that's what led to some of those interceptions was the ball hanging in the air a, a little bit longer, um, you know, on those sideline routes, those out routes and things like that. Um, where, where you need the zip and you need the velocity. And we saw guys like Chase Williams or Isaiah Polamau kind of break on those balls just because, you know, it was taking a little bit longer to get there. So I think that was my main concern watching Keaton. But but I know, I know the interceptions were kind of a talking point and an issue all spring. But I also think that Keaton will be, will be better in games. We've, we have plenty of evidence of him being good when he needs to be good. And... I was thinking back about the spring game and I was thinking about his first training camp here because obviously he wasn't that great in the spring game. He had some good moments. He had the, the deep ball to, to Drake and he had the interception to start off, um, which you know colored a lot of people's view of, of his day. But I was thinking back to his first training camp and I know you remember when in practice he looked great and <laughs> the scrimmages, he didn't look great at all. And we're like, is he going to really be named the backup? I think. Yeah. I think the, those scrimmages were the only reasons why we didn't think he'd be named the backup because he didn't look good in those scrimmages. And then, obviously, the games rolled around, and he was great. So, you know, I think he'll be fine once the games roll around. Um, maybe he had a bit of, you know, maybe a little early senioritis in terms of he's not getting pushed much in, in camp. And like you said, he didn't have much to prove. So, you know, it, it was it was an interesting spring for him. Um and obviously, he's still months removed from a separated shoulder, so that might play a role in the velocity that I was talking about. Um, and it was his second year coming off of a significant shoulder injury or a significant throwing arm injury. So we'll see if that velocity, that arm strength comes back in the summer when he has more time to kind of rest it and things like that. No, it is a fair point. Maybe I kind of glossed over the velocity stuff and haven't made much of it, but to hear you kind of talk about it, I think that probably was a leading cause for a lot of those picks and something to monitor. But, but yeah, I mean, he he, did, he took a, a long while off of throwing coming off of last season let that shoulder rest. He didn't need surgery, thankfully. It was just a kind of a let it rest and, and heal thing. It's hard to know what the impact that had. But the, the point you made is, is the point that always crystallizes for me is he's a guy that has that switch that can flip it on when it matters. And even with the struggles – with the release point and the ball coming out of his hand last year, he was still one of the top-rated quarterbacks in the country in terms of yards per game, and uh, and was just critical in all in those three wild comeback wins. Was really at his best in those big moments. It's always been hard for me to gloss over that because that's 
what matters most. In those moments, he was, he was excellent. And I think that everything he told you and, and it told me earlier on the podcast about what he went through last year and some of the, the mental challenges, I think that's all very real. And, and there's a lot of reasons to, to think that, that that will be different this year once we get around to September and games. I have that in the back of my mind that there were real and discernible factors last year that he's identified that should be different this year. And then also, even still, he was still great in key moments last year. So put those two together, and I'm just expecting that when the lights come on, we're going to see closer to the version that we saw his freshman year. But I guess it is to be determined and will be a a huge storyline. And then there's always the factor of draft pressure and how much he's thinking about being draft eligible and how he's going to be scrutinized even more this year and and every game is going to be impacting his draft stock, etc. So there is something to prove for him this year still, but I'm just not to the point of worry yet. I, I know a lot of people seem to be, but we'll see what happens in August. Yeah, exactly. And I was talking to him when I was talking to his dad back in March and he told me, he's like, last year wasn't, wasn't fun for a lot of those kids. It was, you, you couldn't hang out with your teammates. It was mainly, you know, stay in your apartment, uh, go get tested go to practice and then go back to your apartment, do your homework or whatever, study film. And you know, that was really it. And then you get ready to play the games and things like that. Like it, it was a, it was a tough situation for all those kids, not, not just at USC, but everyone who played college football last year. Um, you know, going through that and the protocols and how strict everything had to be, particularly at USC, um, with those guys, and they managed to do it well uh, for the most part. Uh, I, I know they had to stop, they had to cancel the Colorado game, but uh, they handled it about as well as you could have. Um, but obviously, that's a tough thing to go through mentally. And, you know, I, I don't doubt Max Slovis when he says, you know, a lot of those kids weren't having fun because it didn't seem like an all-too-fun situation. And, um, you know, I, I do think Keaton will be better this year, but I, I think this year will have a lot a lot to do, a lot to, to determine his draft stock um, and how that goes because obviously the film from 2019 and 2020 are so different that people kind of don't know what to take away from, from Keaton throughout his first two years. Which, which one is he? Is he the quarterback who was awesome in 2019 or is he the quarterback who struggled a bit in 2020 um so this year will go a long way for him yep most definitely well moving on the offense to the running backs i just think it's the most intriguing uh situation for uh, august because i have no idea how they're going to pair this down to two guys and i'm, I'm totally supportive of Mike Jinks' stated plan of going with a clear 1A and 1B. I've, I've been pushing that uh, for the last couple of years. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the committee approach. But I also don't know how they're going to get down to those two. And I've gone on this rant before in the podcast, so I won't bore the listeners with my, my same spiel. I'll just throw it to you. Do you have any kind of confidence coming up with spring ball as to how that's going to end up by the time the first game rolls around? I think I have, I have confidence in Keontae Ingram being one of the two. Yep, but other than that, not not really. I, I would lean toward Revive Malapai, but this coaching staff also loves Stephen Carr, so uh, and they've always they've given him every opportunity they can, um, even when he hasn't been the most effective at times. So I think that'll be interesting to watch and seeing how that plays out. And um, if I had to choose right now, I would guess Keontae and Vavai, uh, just because Vavai is so dependable and he's not going to really give you negative plays. 
uh, he's not going to really mess everything up for you or do something negative. You know, he's solid and, you know, he'll, he'll do what needs to be done in there. And, um, obviously I think, I just think Keontae is the most dynamic of the group and he brings, and like I said, said, he just brings an element they haven't really seen before. So I think that'll, that'll help his cause. And he's a, he's a tough runner. He's elusive and he can catch that aids his, his pursuit to the top of the depth chart as well. That's just a, a good skill to have this offense. And, um, I think it'll be him at the end of the day, but we'll, we'll see what happens with Stephen Carr and, and who knows how Keenan Christian factors in because we didn't even get to see him in the spring. Yeah. It, I, I just think that this coaching staff has shown time and again that they just, they are so, uh, what's the word? They, just, they have so much trust in Vivai that I just can't imagine that he's not one of those two guys. And, I mean, really, whenever there's been anyone getting a true starter share of carries the last two years, has been bye-bye for the most part. The Stephen Carr thing is interesting, though. Like, if he didn't come out and have a great spring game, it would be very easy for me to just list him as a distant third to those two. But he was maybe the best of those guys in the spring showcase, and that kind of vaults them back into the conversation for me. And, I mean – this coaching staff hasn't shown a lot of history of making tough decisions and really like sitting down a, a veteran. And I just I can't imagine how that conversation goes with Stephen Carr, where they're going to say, "Well, thanks for coming back for for an extra year, um, but you're not going to play. We're going to go with these two guys." So ultimately, I think we're going to see a deviation from the stated plan of having a 1A and 1B, and they're going to find a way to get Stephen Carr involved. I agree with you that it's probably Ingram and Malapai as the two. I think that Stephen Carr will have a role and will end up in more of a committee approach than, than maybe has been has been promised. Well, you're already out on the uh, on the on the two back uh, the two back commitment. You're already out on it, and it's not even. It's not even junior. Uh, well, no, I, I'm in. I'm in on it. I just don't think that they're going to be in on it when it comes time to make that tough decision and tough call. Yeah, so, yeah, you're out on their on their commitment level. Yes, yes. But let's get more into Ingram. And I, I've talked about him with our subscribers. And obviously everyone saw the 49-yard catch-and-run play where he made like six or seven or eight guys miss, uh, just shows elusiveness. More so – to me, what stood out this camp was just his, his raw power and physicality and just always seemed to be uh, pushing the pile for extra yards or pulling the fenders or just getting the most out of every play, which was the thing that we liked so much about Marquis Step when he was here and the reason why many of us wanted to see him get more of the carries back there because he was the one guy who could maybe offset some of the offensive line struggles at times. What was it specifically that really uh, vaulted Ingram to the top of that list for you? Yeah, I think it's his mix to kind of do both things. He's a powerful running back. I think one of the first things you notice when you see him is his size and his kind of bulk. And, you know, that allows him to run hard in between the tackles. And, um, you know, he we've seen him run just really hard throughout practice. But, you know, that's not all he can do. He can, He's pretty elusive. And I, and I think we saw a lot during practice that that signature kind of spin move that he has to get away from defenders that he used a lot when he was catching passes in the flats um, for someone his size at 220 pounds and six foot or however tall he is. Uh, that was something kind of surprising to see just because he has that that combo of 
size and elusiveness and you know he's shifting he made a lot of people miss this spring a lot of the safeties who are coming up trying to tackle him uh, he made them miss and kind of made them look foolish sometimes when he was catching passes in the flats so that that's what really impressed me and um you know i think that's what kind of separates him from the other backs just that it's that combination of size and elusiveness yeah i agree he has the best overall package of, of skills and just brings the most upside all around. But as we know, it's very hard to run, uh, no matter who you are, if the offensive line is not opening holes. So let's stay with the offensive line. You mentioned that the first couple of weeks of camp, really discouraging for those who are hoping for an immediate magical elixir fix from Clay McGuire up front. Uh, I do think things opened up a little bit. We actually saw uh, a handful of, of big runs broken this spring that I just don't recall seeing much of it all last season. So I'm remaining optimistic. And as I've told people on the podcast and on the board, it's going to take time. Clay McGuire wasn't going to come in and fix this thing in in four practices. So whether or not he can fix it or not is is to be determined. I'm not going to say with with any kind of assurance that he can. We we have to see it. But it wasn't going to happen in a matter of weeks. Something we'll monitor throughout August, and then once the games start, we'll see if there's real change up front. But what was your overall takeaway from that unit as a whole? Yeah, and you talk about how it's going to take some time. You know that that position kind of deteriorated over years. It's not going to be fixed within a couple of months. Um, the thing that kind of comes back to that keeps coming back to me is it's a lot of the same characters as last year, but without the first round draft pick. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so it's. Yeah, it's, uh, there's obviously plenty of reasons to be concerned. Um, I liked what they did by moving some of the guys around. Uh, I, I think Jonah Monheim and Cortland Ford are going to win those tackle jobs. And I, I think Jonah's had a really good camp. Uh, he's been pointed out by a lot of people, Clay Helton, Clay McGuire. Um, and, you know, the coach's actions have spoke loudly about him too. He took pretty much most of the first-team reps at right tackle throughout the second half of, of spring ball, um, he's going to start two redshirt freshman tackles. And uh, with that will probably come a lot of growing pains um, just because guys aren't all that experience. And the experience Cortland Ford did get last year was a left guard. So uh, this is a bit of a different ask when you're going against Notre Dame's edge rushers, edge rushers and Stanford's and, and everyone else they're going to see um, on the schedule this year. Uh, so that stood out. And I think, I think right guard is particularly interesting just because there's three guys that could walk away with a job, and I wouldn't really be surprised at either one. If it was Justin Dietrich or Liam Jimmins or, or Jalen McKenzie, who I think is better suited for guard than tackle. Yeah. So uh, I think that'll be an, a position I watch pretty closely during training camp when that rolls around in August. And it seems like Voorhees and, and Nealon are the safest bets to start. They're the the veterans of the group along with Jalen McKenzie. So um, it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out. And, you know, if they tinker with Voorhees in any particular position, obviously he played left tackle a bit in the spring game. It'll be interesting to see if he can get any looks there. Uh, I think something else that stood out was just like the depth. If, if one of these guys you know, gets banged up or has to miss a game or something, that's, that's going to be trouble for USC just because there's not a lot. There's not a lot of promise behind them in the second-team group. You are more confident than me that they will actually, again, make that tough decision to unseat a 
fourth or fifth year guy, a veteran, an entrenched starter, and and give a Jonah Monheim the job. I, I agree with you. I think it's it's the best course of action. And the fact that Clay Helton uh, was speaking up so much, and we heard other players mention him, clearly he showed a lot this spring. But are they really going to cast aside a veteran who started for the last two years? I just I have to see it to believe it. Obviously, Cortland Ford's going to be locked in at left tackle because there's really no, no one there challenging him. Casey Collier, it seems, is still a developmental guy, uh, a little further away, a guy they really like the upside down the road with, but, but not a guy that's directly challenging Cortland Ford right now. Let's talk about those two guys a little bit more. I, I, I've told the board this over and over again, and, and maybe you're better at it than I am. It's really hard to evaluate offensive line play in the course of a practice when you're you're watching everything. You're watching the ball. You're watching the play as it's unfolding, and you have no benefit of replay. So you can't go back and scrutinize, okay, where was the breakdown here between left guard and center, this and that. So – I've just kind of used that as a cop-out for saying I, I can offer you very general thoughts on those guys, but I don't have a like detailed breakdown of, of their games. But for you, what stood out to you about Cortland Ford? What stood out to you about Jonah Monheim that you were able to take away? I, I think it's the athleticism that kind of stands out with Cortland Ford, and I know that's something a lot of people talk, talked about. You know, when he signed and things like that, you know, the, you know, the potential was his frame and, his athletic ability to to turn into something really promising. You know, he held his own. Like I, I never got the sense that he was lost or completely overmatched out there. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that you're looking for. You know, we've seen it with some linemen uh, who come in and they just look completely overmatched, and the game looks too fast. And you're like, oh, this is going to take two or three years before they can contribute. Um, but watching Corlin this spring, I, I never got the sense like, oh man, this guy's. Uh, completely lost out there or he's um, he, he just can't handle this um, sure does he need to get better does he need to get more dominant in the run game yeah but I think I, I think he I think he could hold up um, out there and I think Jonah just a really well round from talking from listening to Clay McGuire talk I think he just likes how well-rounded Jonah is and um, I know he said before basically everything that they tell Jonah in the film room he applies really quickly out on the field and you know that's something they need because there's been communication problems with usc's off the line for a while i think stunts gave them plenty of issues last year particularly on that right side so you know keeping the communication and cutting down on those errors that that kind of hampered them last year i can think of you know the stunt against utah where keating got sacked and ended up fumbling and ended up leading to a touchdown um, and things like that. Those are the kind of things that you can prevent just with communication. And if Jonah's better at that, then I think that gives him a solid chance of, you know, grabbing that spot. With Ford, you know, I, I think I think he assuaged a lot of my concerns about that position. Not my concerns about the line overall, but the concern that, you know, in the wintertime, like when it was really just fresh and we're thinking that about, man, they're, they're losing Elijah. Who was going to fill this position? And obviously he was the name that was always bantied about, but I just I thought they were going to have to go the transfer route or it was going to be a disaster just based on his experience level. And I think he assuaged a lot of my concern about being able to be uh, very serviceable there this year with the upside to be better than serviceable. But I think there's going to be a nice base level of what he's going to give you that I feel good about. You mentioned earlier the depth, what happens if a guy gets hurt. The question is, 
at that spot more than any. Obviously, they, they have interior depth, and, and we talked about the right side and the options. But if Cortland Ford were to get hurt, who do you think is the guy to step in? I'll give you my answer. I, I think it's probably Voorhees. I think that it was not, a, not an accident that he was thrust out there during the spring game at left tackle. And, yes, they were missing Casey Collier, so they, they needed a second tackle. But I think that the staff really wanted to get a, a look at him in that spot. And uh, I don't know who else it would be. So I, so he's my pick if Ford goes down. I think we're maybe seeing Voorhees out there. But what's your thought? Yeah, I think it depends. It really comes down to who do you trust more, Casey Collier, Casey Collier as the backup left tackle or uh, like a Justin Dietrich at backup left guard. I, I think they would trust Justin Dietrich more at left guard. And they could slot Voorhees at left tackle, like, you know, in case of emergency. Um, so I think that's kind of what it comes down to me. Just because, That's what it comes down to for, for me, just because Dietrich has more experience. He's been in the program longer, and he's already getting reps at guard right now, even though it's right guard. He's already getting reps at guard right now. And he knows all of his assignments having played center, so he knows what needs to be done. Exactly. All right, well, let's uh, let's wind through the offense here real fast. So we can get into a good defensive talk. Uh, the wide receivers, you know, I've I've said it uh, over and over again this last week or two that to me the most impressive player in any position all spring was Drake London. I just thought he was consistently dominant and and put up uh, more highlights than anyone this spring. And what I loved about <laughs> about him, it's just it's just ingrained in his mentality. Like he, he treated every spring rep like it was the fourth quarter of the Pac-12 championship game. Like there's no let up with this guy. He's fighting for every ball. He's fighting for every extra yard. He's spinning, twisting, turning, pulling defenders. I just love the way he plays. But obviously, the storyline was that he was on the outside all spring, as opposed to his familiar inside wide position. And I don't think we got a definitive answer on what they're going to do when the games come around. Um, so let me just ask you, what do you think they should do with Drake London? Should he be on the outside? Should he be in his familiar role that he's dominated for two years? Or should they just mix and match, move him around? I think he's going to be the, on the outside just for the simple question of who else are you going to put out there? Um, obviously, you have Brew on the other side. But if you're going with three receivers most of the time, um, I just don't know who else you would put out there. I, I think it'll be Drake and Brew on the outside and, and Gary on the inside and one of these two newcomers uh, Malcolm Epps or Michael Trick, in that fourth wide receiver spot when USC is not using a tight end like Eric Romanoke or somebody so I think ultimately it will be you know Drake on the outside and I, and I think the acquisition of Epps kind of helps seal that like they want somebody they want another big body to put on the inside so they could put drake on the outside yeah. so you know those are my thoughts on kind of where drake will line up unfortunately we and the intent was to get a long look at gary bryant on the outside this spring as well and he just he was banged up and we didn't really get that full showcase of him out there and i guess until the spring i'd always thought of him as a as an inside slot guy but they made it clear at the start of spring oh no he, he can do it all he can play outside and I was intrigued to see that, and I just don't think we saw enough to really know. So, so you may be right there. I, my personal gut feel is that they're going to move Drake around a lot and and try and confuse defenses and and just kind of mix and match his role. But question is, like you said, then then who is the guy outside? And I think that Gary Bryant would have to have a really strong August to cement himself there, uh, or. 
did they see enough from Michael Jackson the third that that he deserves a real role in this passing game this fall? Yeah, exactly. And and Michael Jackson was was impressive. Um, yeah, I feel like he's still kind of right now still profiles more as a slot guy in my mind. I know he lined up outside a bit um, in the spring, but you know we'll see how his training camp goes and things like obviously we saw Drake London and Bernier McLean the recently departed Bernier McLean know I'm really impressed when when training camp rolled around their freshman year um so I want to see if if Michael Jackson can kind of you know do something similar because I think when we saw those two guys in 2019 it was very apparent they, they were better than their rating suggested and that's kind of what Michael Jackson's spring reminded me of, so I kind of wanted to see if he can keep it up throughout throughout training camp and if he can earn a, a larger role in this offense. Because I, I think a lot of people thought, like, hey, it'll probably be Katie Nixon who's the fourth receiver, but I don't really think he grabbed grabbed control of that spot at all during spring and left the door open for someone like Michael Jackson to kind of, you know, create an opportunity for himself. I'm more bullish than most on on MJ3, and just, and maybe I kind of got myself pre-biased toward that because I've been telling him as one of the more underrated guys in this class since he committed. But I, I thought he really backed it up, and I, I just think he has he has the full package. He has great hands. He has some natural instincts uh, in terms of just separation abilities, and and there were times where I thought he was well covered and just managed to get himself uh open enough at the end to make a play we saw the one-handed catches obviously in the spring game just a very talented athletic guy that uh i think took full advantage of his reps this spring and personally i i wouldn't have any hesitancy to throw him out there in the role but yeah you are right is is he more of a slot guy or outside guy this whole spring was kind of distorting because they were so thin that that everyone was an outside guy even though uh uh, John Jackson got reps outside, and he's he's 100 percent a slot guy. You mentioned Katie Nixon, yeah. I, I was I, I saw a lot of Valus Jones and Katie Nixon. I I don't have much confidence in him as a downfield receiver. Uh, I just thought he he didn't win contested balls downfield. He he had some drops. I think that he has some obviously some obvious skill and upside as a as a catch and run guy over the middle out of the slot, but you're gonna have competition there. You're gonna have Taj Washington coming in from Memphis. We haven't uh, even gotten a look at yet, and you're gonna have these guys we mentioned: Gary Bryant, Michael Jackson the third. Where do they end up? So that slot spot could be really competitive. You're kind of talking me into the idea that that maybe Drake has to be outside for this to work as a collective unit the best. Yeah, I think. There, there's no like one elite thing that Katie kind of showed off this spring. Um, you know, he's obviously been a solid receiver in the Pac-12, and um, you know, it just didn't seem like he was he had the chemistry yet with uh, with a Keaton or any of the backup quarterbacks, and it looked like that was still kind of a, a work in progress. It could come later down the road, but you know, right now, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's grabbed control of any spot or anything so it's a lot of it's going to come down to how training camp goes and how these guys look and which ones can stay healthy in jackson and gary bryant's case um and kind of grab grab control of things yeah it'll be much more easy to to read into the coaching staff's plans once all those guys are available and healthy and again it was just kind of a a bare bones unit this spring for a number of reasons i mean you're gonna have kyle ford joining the mix again in the summer but 
Brew McCoy was not overly active this spring, and um, we just didn't see a lot. So we'll get a better sense for those guys in the summer. You mentioned Malcolm Epps, the tight end transfer from Texas. He is uh, joining the podcast after you today, so the fans can hear directly from Malcolm Epps about his transfer to USC. Interesting guy. He was a wide receiver for Texas in 2019, got some real opportunity, made the move to tight end, only had three catches last year. But he is a six foot six guy who has a wide receiver makeup, so he really fits the profile of what USC likes at that wide position. Uh, that kind of that hybrid tight end wide receiver guy. I don't think anything's going to be guaranteed to him, but I think he's an intriguing guy coming in. And you mentioned Michael Trigg as well, the uh, four star freshman, one of the highest rated signees in the class. It'd be a fun competition between those two to see how they uh, they battle for those available spots there. Okay, let's get to the defensive side. I'm just going to throw out my hot take. I mean, I think it's hot. Maybe it's not that hot. But I'm just all in on this defensive line. I'm convinced it's going to be a tone-setting unit. I totally buy into some of the more nebulous stuff that we heard this spring about. Well, they didn't have time to establish an identity last year because they they didn't have a spring or a summer. And once they got to the fall camp, it was all about getting ready, getting the, the defense installed and getting ready for an opponent. And that they've had more time to focus on just kind of this is what we want to be about defensively. But also, I, I just look at the potential alignments there. And, and, yes, they've lost guys, and you would have liked to have had a Brandon Peely. But when you think about Corey Foreman coming in, who we haven't seen yet, Tui Tuipelotu, who it's just somehow in, in five months morphed from this nice up-and-comer to like this established leader on the defensive line. Nick Figueroa, who led the team in sacks and tackles for loss last year, who was out all spring coming back this summer. Drake Jackson at the outside linebacker spot. And then I feel okay about the nose tackle spot with with some combination of Jay Toya or Jamar Sakona or Ishmael Sopcher, who we didn't see this spring. I just don't have many concerns there. And I think that the group I just mentioned is going to pr- produce the majority of snaps and give you a really nice alignment up front that can really uh, be a, a devastating pass rush potentially. Potentially. Yeah, I think I'm a bit more hesitant on the defensive line. I, I think they'll be a good group, but I'll, I'm, gonna, I'm always kind of hesitant in terms of calling them, you know, like predicting they'll be like a dominant group or anything, just because it, it's hard to evaluate when they're going against this offensive line that struggled for years. Um, I remember, I remember the first training camp I was on the beat for was 2018, and the, and the front seven looked awesome. I was like, oh, it'll probably be a good group throughout the season, but. It turned out they were just going against the uh, subpar offensive line, and you know it was only Port Augustine that really looked good up front. Yeah. So you know I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see with those guys, but I, like you mentioned, the pieces are there. Uh, Corey Foreman is obviously very talented. Uh, Tuli's had, had a good spring, and, and we've seen things from Nick Figueroa uh, last season. So th- there's plenty of reasons to be encouraged about the defensive line. Uh, I think I'm still kind of in a wait-and-see mode at defensive tackle uh, with uh, with Ishmael Shopsher and and Jay Toya. Uh, I, I think the loss of Peely, even though he was he's never really been healthy or never been consistent, you know, I think um, – I, I just think that was another body that they could have used. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And if Vic Solito can kind of get the most out of whoever's playing that nose tackle or nose guard, uh, position, um, I think 
I think Jay Toya had a really encouraging spring. Uh, but there's still stuff he's going to probably need to refine in terms of his game. You can't just bull rush everybody every single play, even though he has the strength to do that to a lot of people. There's going to be some linemen you just can't do that to. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see where he grows and to see how much playing time he can get this fall. And see, this is why we bring people on the podcast. It's important to keep to keep me in check and, and balance out my opinions. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you have a differing take here. I, I just I, I look and and it's a great point. Like I mean, what can you really take away from watching them go up against an offensive line that we just talked about? Uh, remains a major question. So obviously they're going to look better than maybe they will against Utah or someone like that. Totally fair point. I just go individual by individual, and I see. And I, and I just grouped Drake Jackson to the defensive line because that's mm-hmm. – I, I mean, that's essentially what he is. Uh, this is Drake Jackson's draft year. I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. Uh, we've seen a lot of potential. We've seen the potential for even more with a lot of unfinished plays in the backfield. I think that he very much wants to be a high draft pick after this season and that we will get another level of Drake Jackson. I totally buy into the Corey Foreman hype. Obviously, you know, until you make the transition and do it at the college level, there's some wait and see there. But he was the top national prospect for a reason. And uh, he's always impressed me whenever I've seen him in, in high school, at camps, at, at whatever. Uh, I just think it's going to translate. I think he's, 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 a, he's a no-doubter. He's going to make an impact. And Thule, I mean, man, I liked him last year. Uh, had a couple sacks. Through his playing time each week, it really asserted himself. But the comments coming out this spring, I was working on my final spring breakdown stuff and going back through all the quotes and Stephen Carr calling him the one of the hardest hitters uh, on the defense and Brett Nealon saying that uh, he was the hardest to block and Seth Dagey, the tight ends coach, calling call him a freak and uh, Vic Suoto talking about how he needs to be a leader and bring other players up to his level. This is a sophomore who's played, you know, like five and a half games. If he takes a major leap this year, we're just kind of stacking guys upon guys who could really have breakout seasons or or, or better seasons than they've had to this point. And then, uh, you know, Nick Figueroa probably reached his peak last year and was a very solid, serviceable guy, a guy, a guy you like to have in there. But I, I don't know. I just uh, – I'm going to I'm gonna continue to buy all the stock for the D-line and, and – We'll see how it plays out in the fall, but that's kind of why I feel that way about them. Yeah, and I, I think in an ideal world, Nick Figueroa is probably like a rotation guy. Yeah. Like he's one of your first guys off the bench. For sure, for and, sure. And, um, you know, I think, you know, if that could be his role this year, I think the Thieves line has, you know, plenty of promise. For it. If that would mean someone like Corey Foreman would come in and training camp and, you know, grab a starting spot. I mean, he's impressive enough to grab a starting spot. Um to where you could have someone like Nick Figueroa come off, come off the bench and and add some pass rush. Um, so, you know, I think there's there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic about the group. Um, and I'm kind of waiting to see, you know, what they look like, you know, in training camp and and things like that, just to see kind of what level Drake Jackson goes to, like you mentioned. Uh, we just didn't get to see him a lot during the spring. When we did see him, he was dominant. He made some really, really good plays in the spring game, particularly that that one series comes to mind. I think it was in the second or third quarter of the spring game where Three straight he hustles to get the yeah he hustles to get the sack on Keaton and he has the pass breakup. Um, so 
Um, you know, he's he's always he's been impressive since the day he's he stepped foot on on the practice field, and we saw him at Spring Bowl, and, and even then, Clancy Prendergast was telling people he was a, a three and out t- type of guy. So um, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what what he produces this fall. I just think there's a lot to like there. Now, a spot where I do not have so much conviction or or even a strong opinion one way or the other is the linebackers. And I don't know. I just I feel like I talked about them the least all spring. Raylan Goforth and Kanai Malga were out there. The second team, uh, Tua Steven Namora and, and Raymond Scott. Uh, we didn't really see Julian Simon, the four-star freshman, get much opportunity at all. Uh, Rajon Davis will come in this summer, another four-star freshman. Did you have any strong takeaways from the linebacker group last five weeks? Not really. You know, it was kind of the same as, as last season. It was like, oh, they're, they're kind of there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, Kanai will make some splash plays every once in a while that you'll see. And he's really physical against the run, obviously. I, I think he's getting he's starting to get better in, in coverage, and I think we saw that in the Petrol title game where he had that interception. Um, but, you know, it's kind of kind of just ordinary stuff um, that we see from them. Um, nothing that sticks out one way or another, ne- positive or negative. Um, I, I know that's a group that they want to improve. That's why they brought in a, a Rajon Davis and a Julian Simons. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see when those guys kind of finally settle in. Um, I think Julian Simons showed some promise at times. This camp, particularly as a blitzer, um, I think he's very physical and you know, his size makes him kind of overpowering uh, for some impacts. We didn't get to see him a lot in terms of getting reps and things like that. And, um, you know, we didn't get to see a ton of, of Raylan go forth at times. I think he missed the first week with the health and safety protocols. And then he had the elbow That's right. the elbow issue, I think. Yeah. Um, so we didn't get to see him until we saw Raymond, Raymond Scott, a kind of a, a significant amount this spring with the first team. So, you know, we'll see what they show during training camp. It's, I, I think after the offensive line, that's kind of like the number two group to be concerned about. It's the linebackers just because they haven't produced a ton. I know Kanai will get a lot of tackles and things like that, but um, it's still a group that kind of needs to improve. And I think it's, you know, after the offensive line, like I said, I think it's the group that kind of needs to take the biggest leap. I mean, man, you were really paying close attention if you have uh, some Julian Simon takeaways from spring. <laughs> from yeah, from his, his mostly fourth team work. Uh, behind the walk-on third team. I don't say that to knock Julian Simon. He was one of my favorite uh, signees in this class, and I just think that, uh, as, as Clay Helton said, he was getting some tough love from Tyler Orlando this spring and that uh, the best is yet to come for him. But, yeah, we didn't see a ton of him. Um, I'll, I'll just close the linebackers by speaking about Rajon Davis, who I went to see live at the Modern Day game this spring. And, man, you know, I was always high on him before, but – he went to a different level this spring. He's kind of filled out a little bit more with his body, and he's just such a versatile, unique playmaker. Mother Day used him as a, a pass rushing outside linebacker. They had him flexed out, uh, covering receivers at times. USC's going to bring him in as an inside linebacker, and I'm really curious how quickly he can assert himself and earn some reps there because his upside is just, to me, so much greater than the guys that we mentioned already. With those guys – with a Kanai or with a Raylan, you know, we've we've seen weaknesses with them having to drop in the coverage and, and, and pick up uh, passing routes and overall consistency. Rajon is so athletic that that will not be a problem for him. 
His lateral movement is elite. Uh, he just has. I, I I try and avoid cliches, but I don't know how else to say this. He's one of those guys where he just always seems to be around the ball, and it just he always seems to be around the ball. It just kind of it's kind of the defining characteristic of his game. So I'm super high on him, and I would not be surprised if at some point this season he's out there on the field, uh, starting to kind of uh, carve out a role for himself. You're not the first person I've heard from, you know, since spring ball ended that has mentioned Rajon and like the the level he jumped this spring. Yeah. I, I didn't get the chance to watch him in person, but uh, you're not you're not the first person who's told me like this guy is really took it up another notch during the spring and he he looks different now and he might be able to compete for some playing time, you know, much earlier than people expected. So that that'll be somebody that's obviously worth watching during during training camp and. Uh, when when August rolls around, I had concerns about his size before. I thought he was going to need to be in a college weight program and fell out more. And he just looked a lot thicker this spring. And uh, was the the defensive MVP of the Trinity League, which is obviously the you know the most stacked high school conference in Los Angeles area. And just he, he really maximized that limited season they had. Uh, okay, moving on. We got two more spots to cover. Let's go to the cornerbacks and. I mentioned Steele early on. We know he's locked into that boundary corner position. But I think the other spot, the field corner spot, is really unsettled. Isaac Taylor Stewart is the guy that you would pencil in there as the veteran, a guy who has started games, who has by far the most experience. But I just, I don't know. I Maybe, maybe you have a different opinion, but I just thought he had an unspectacular spring. And I didn't really see any kind of leap to his game from before. With him, my biggest critique is that he has all the athleticism and there's a lot of times that he seems like he's right in position to make a play and just doesn't. And he's just kind of there. And I saw more of that this spring. So I, I don't know that from what I saw this spring, if I'm, I'm confident saying, oh, yeah, well, he's clearly the, the other guy. We saw Josh Jackson Jr. make the transition from receiver to corner and, and really open some eyes. Did not see... Dorian Hewitt at all, who who was a guy who has played a little bit in the past and uh, I've always been intrigued by. He was out all spring. And then we'll have Sierra Wright coming in as another one of those intriguing freshmen who I think is going to get a chance to at least compete and, and try and put himself in the mix. What is your take on that other corner spot? Yeah, I think ITS has the leg up right now. I, I wouldn't say it's like a lot he'll start, but I think going into training camp, he has the lead. Uh, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see if Sierra Brad or Prophet Brown could come in and kind of make an instant impact uh, because last year they didn't even play ITS much when you know they could have rotated in or, or things like that so he didn't see a lot of playing time so I, I'm interested to see how that all shakes out and uh, it's it's easy to kind of say like ITS didn't have a, a great camp I think because a lot of the times he might have been facing a Drake London um, so you know there was you know the issue with that but but obviously I think I think Brew McCoy's touchdown in the spring game also came against ITS and and Xavier Alford I think and ITS kind of looked lost both, both of them did both him and Alford in coverage when Bruce scored that touchdown for Mohassan yeah so there's things there's things he could clean up definitely and like you said there's the, there's the speed there's the size there's the athleticism but you know, when it comes to making plays on the ball, that's still an area, you know, he needs to grow in. And, um, you know, that's that's something that's been kind of years in the making. I don't know if you were there for 
the first spring practice, you know, of his, uh, the, the first training camp practice of his career. And he was talking to Clay Helton um, after practice. And I remember Clay Helton was asked, like, what did you guys talk about? And Clay Helton kind of insinuated they would try him out of running back a little bit. Um, so, <laughs> you know, th- and just we've never we've never seen that since. That was like, the only time Clay's ever mentioned it or anything. Um, but, um, you know, it's for his ITS's first training camp. And, uh, you know, so the athleticism is there, just a matter of him trying to put it all together. And I know, I know before spring, there was some optimism about whether, about him, you know, how he changed his body. Because last year he had a knee injury, which kept him out longer than, you know, most people thought it would. And it kind of in, impacted how much he could work in the off season. So, We'll, we'll see if this summer brings anything, brings any new changes or developments with ITS. But I would still say he has a leg up. But I would be surprised if Josh Jackson ended up in that role, even though he had a promising, even though he had a promising spring and made some impressive plays. I was really impressed. It didn't result in any interceptions or anything, but I was really impressed with how Josh handled himself and competed with Drake Jackson at, in the, on the goal line in that spring, in that spring game in that one series and how he kind of held up well um, against Drake there. And obviously it's tough to compete with Drake in the red zone just because he's so tall and so big, but he impressed me there. And obviously the, the, the natural ball skills that he has as opposed to an ITS, you could see Josh making plays on the ball and just being more natural when it comes to intercepting passes. Um, so there's still a lot, a lot of ground to be covered with that number two corner spot. Yeah, and I agree that I mean they're going to give ITS every chance to to be that guy or or be one of the main guys there. I think ultimately we're probably going to see more of a rotation than we saw last year, and I think it was telling last year that they thought that OG and Steele were clearly at a different level than ITS, and there wasn't any need to force him in there for a lot of snaps. So I I think we're going to see some some mix and match there, and, and he'll get his chances, but. There's interesting depth there, and if he struggles, I don't think they're gonna just gonna uh, stubbornly stick with him. I think that he's gonna have to prove it on Saturdays to keep earning that role. So I, I think he'll be the guy to start. But Josh Jackson really opened my eyes. I mean, I almost never put stock in a guy changing positions. I just, I just always assume it's because he didn't have a clear path to this previous spot, not because he has this great upside at this new spot. But he really opened my eyes and opened a lot of eyes. Uh, and, and he had a full opportunity this spring to get reps because they were so thin at corner that he was able to get, to get that full showcase. Uh, is he ready to play on Saturdays there? I, that's not for me to determine. I, I don't know yet. But I definitely think he has a future there where maybe I didn't fully believe that coming into camp. You mentioned the two freshmen. Uh, Prophet Brown, I think, is going to be more raw just because he was primarily a running back recruit for most of his recruitment and then decided he wanted to play defense. And he, he did play defense in high school, but he's never fully committed to the cornerback position. So I think we're going to find that he has a lot to learn once he gets here, but definitely a, a great long-term prospect. I think Sierra Wright's the guy that maybe has a chance to come in polished and, and, and fight for some reps there. But um, I think that ITS will get as many reps as he earns this season, but he's going to have to earn them. All right, let's close it up with the safeties. And this is where I'm just going to turn straight to you and, and – say, yeah, we saw Chase Williams get all the first-team reps in the other safety spot. Are you sold on Chase Williams at this point? I won't go 100% in say, oh, this guy's a lock to start at safety this year. I, I think we have to see 
closer to the end of training camp before I make any sort of Chase Williams declaration, just because in 2019 he was starting at the nickel the nickel spot. Yep. All of, all the spring ball and, and all the training camp, and then the last week, all of a sudden they put Greg Johnson in there, and we yeah. really yeah. didn't hear from from Chase the rest of the year, except when Tal Noah got hurt and he had to get some spot starts. And so I, I think it's kind of a, a wait and see attitude with Chase, just because we've seen him have a solid spring or a solid training camp before, and then all of a sudden he just kind of falls out of favor with the coaching staff. So um, I'm kind of wait and see with him, and you know he didn't play a ton last year either. He played some, but not a lot. So, and then they they added Alford um, in the off season, which kind of spoke indirectly about how they felt about that safety spot. So I'm kind of waiting to see what happens this summer once Xavier Alford gets gets more settled in. Um, but like Craig Nybar said, you know he's got to make some plays when when the lights come on. I know, um, like I mentioned earlier with the touchdown from Bruno McCoy, that was on Alford and that was on ITS. So you know just making more plays during the spring and and things like that from him. But I I think it'll be. Uh, Isaiah Polamau, one safety spot, obviously. And right now I'd give Chase the lead at the other one, but we'll see if if Xavier and Alford can make up any ground uh, during the summer. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that 2019 situation with Chase. I remember uh, writing a big story about that this is going to be Chase Williams' breakout. I have all these quotes from Greg Burns about just you know how much they trusted them out there and this and that. And then, like, you know, Days later, <laughs> it's Greg, Greg Johnson's the starting nickel and Chase doesn't play. So I, I maybe I feel burned from that experience. Um, but also, I mean, Chase has played a lot over the last few years, and and he's had, he's he's been a part of a lot of big plays that have gone against the defense. So I I think he's had opportunities that he hasn't fully capitalized on. And if, as a redshirt junior, are you going to take a leap, or are, are you the guy that we've seen to this point? And he's definitely an asset in the program, a guy that 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 you feel good throwing out there, a guy that has experience. But I, I just don't know if there's another level that we're going to see. I really thought Xavier Alford would be that guy, and he, he just didn't didn't seize it this spring. But like you said, he's coming in, he's adjusting to a, a new school. Uh, he should be somewhat well, no, because he was recruited by Craig Nivar, but he never played in that defense. So he's learning a new defense. Maybe we see a different version of Xavier Alford this summer. The freshman safeties, though. Kalen Bullock, Zamarian Gordon, Anthony Beavers. Did anything stand out to you uh, impressively with that group this spring? I, I thought Kalen, I, I think I saw him pop the most Definitely. during the spring. Definitely. Anthony Beavers had some solid tackles for loss um, on some blitzes and things like that. But I think in terms of coverage, I think it was Kalen was the one who impressed the most. He had a few interceptions. And he looked pretty versatile out there. He looked comfortable in coverage. Uh, I know he's, you know, he's pretty skinny, and he needs a summer in the weight room. Uh, but once he kind of bulks, once he bulks up a bit, I, I think he could kind of make himself a fixture of that rotation, and at least earn a backup job this this fall. And who knows? Maybe if he continues to progress well, maybe even surprise people and starts. But um, you know, I think he was the one that popped the most uh, during the spring. Yeah, he showed just natural ball skills, had several interceptions, uh, even got some looks at cornerback when they were really just uh, super thin and needed another body there. I think he's definitely the next guy up. 
at that group uh, among those freshmen. But uh, I, don't, I don't know how much opportunity he'll get this year, but definitely showed a lot of promise for the future. Okay, I've kept you way too long, but we got to close on one last question, and this is this is the fastball. This is this is the hard one. Oh wow! Given everything we've talked about, how good do you think this team is in 2021? I, I wouldn't say they're a contender for the Pac-12 title. I think they're a contender for the South, and I think that'll be a tough race between them, Arizona State, and Utah. Um, I wouldn't pencil them into the Pac-12 title game by any means right now. I'm still concerned about the offensive line, and there's there's some concern about the safety about the the secondary spots as well with the safe with the open safety spot at corner and the linebackers. So uh, it's kind of uh, let me see more uh, from those groups during training camp and see like when 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 the real bullets start to fly and when things pick up a bit and when everybody's there. Um, then I'll have better Dutch. But right now, I want to. I would say they're a contender for the Pac-12 South, but I, I want to. I don't think they're the over the overwhelming favorite in the division like they were last year. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And you know, it's still early, so we'll see what August looks like and how all the pieces come together. I think there's there's more upside there, but I think if we're making a statement right now, I think that's very fair. And great stuff, Antonio Morales of the Athletic. We appreciate your time and your exceptional insight. Thanks for having me, man. Okay, very excited to bring in our next guest, the newest USC Trojan, Malcolm Epps, who transfers from Texas to USC, tight end, and we're going to learn a lot more about why he's coming to USC and how he thinks he fits into the offense. But first of all, Malcolm, thanks for joining us. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Thank you for having me on the show. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, ask away. Very good. Well, just kind of take us through this whole decision process. It's obviously always a tough call to choose to leave a school and put yourself in the transfer portal, find a new home. How did you get to the point initially of just deciding it was time to move on from Texas and, and try and find a new home? Um, like I told other reporters, this was more than football. This wasn't just football related. It was way more than football. And um, like I said before, the, the – the coaching staff that taking that there now is going to turn their program around tremendously, and with the with, with the quickness, actually, it really is. They have some, they have a great group of guys uh, as coaches, and they all mean well for you and things of that nature. But um, I just felt like it was time for me to go. As far as UTN, like I couldn't leave until I got my degree, so that's why it took me a little while to hit the portal and things of that nature. But um, going as as far as hitting the portal and talking to other schools um a lot of schools reached out to me uh, they did and i appreciate every school that did reach out to me and saw my talents but at the end of the day i had to go out the like most comfortable and at home and that was usc because they have guys that i have played with and i, I put my trust into and i know we're not they're gonna tell me straight up if it was a good place not for me and that's what they did well, let's just go through the portal process. So you get in there. How are, how early do you start hearing from schools? And kind of give me a number of, of how many different schools you heard from. And were there other ones that you considered? Or did you really kind of lock in on USC pretty quickly? Um, when I hit it, um, and like when I hit it, when I put it on Twitter, um, a lot of coaches that follow me and whatnot, and then when I officially got it on Wednesday, coaches started calling me. But I had, I had a couple. I had uh, Ole Miss. I had... ASU and I had USC of course and I had all a lot of different schools but 
like everyone that asked me, I told them everybody was everybody was on the same plan. So nobody had the advantage, disadvantage. I was gonna go wherever I felt where I need to go, regardless of regardless of uh, conference location, any that I just went where I felt was best for me. And you said earlier it was bigger than football. What was the biggest thing you were looking for in the new school and program? Um, a place to live, at, like a place to do outside of football things. Like, what can I go and do outside of football? As we all know, you know, in California has beaches and whatnot and lots of other things. So that's also fun because, I mean, yeah, football is, you know what I'm saying, that's the thing. But I said, what if I wanted to relax? Like, what can I do just to relax and get away from the game? And then you mentioned the connections you have here. Obviously, Keontae Ingram came in, had a great spring as a transfer from Texas. Xavier Alford, the safety, came in. And, of course, on the coaching staff, uh, Todd Orlando, Craig Niver were there at Texas when you were there, Brian Carrington. Who, who were some of those guys that you talked to, and what was the feedback you got from them? Well, I didn't really talk to the coaches that much about that because I knew they were going to tell me what I wanted to hear, like all the other coaches did, which, but I'm not mad at that because that's the job to recruit. I just talked to the players. I talked to all the players that I that I know that knew there and I, I knew too for a fact and like I said, Keontae helped a lot. That that dude um always kept it straight up with me regardless of wherever I was in life. If it was a bad idea he would tell me. If it was a good idea, he would tell me. So me I was just talking to Keontae consistently and just turning up with him and seeing like what what it feel like and he told me that he loves it out there and so that's all I need to hear. was was there one particular thing that he said that really resonated with you? Yeah, he said he got a complete rest reset on his mind. He said it, it his mind was his mind was shattered, and then he, he completely reset it. And now he said he's having he's li- he's just living life, like he's having fun playing the game of football. He's just living life, and that's big to me. My mentor is big to me, of course. You know, I'm a big family guy, but at the end of the day, I take care of myself first. So whatever the mental aspect of it was, that was big for me. And he told me he said, "Yeah, they." They go work, you know what I'm saying? They work out, and they they get to it, but when it's time to relax and chill, they know how to do that, and that was, I love hearing that. And then, uh, obviously, you would have had to talk to the USC coaching staff to make this happen. What was the message from them? What kind of opportunity did they kind of present to you, football-wise? Um, they just told me what the other coaches told me. They, um, but then they showed me uh, Drake London, who played the position I'm going, I'm going in to play, um, so me his stats last year, he had over 700 yards, over 20 catches, over over four or five touchdowns. So I'm like, oh, that looked good. And they had other, they had other, they had other people. You know what I'm saying with over a thousand yards receiving, and they throw the ball for us at times of the game. That's right up my alley. What uh, what coach or coaches did you speak to the most during the process from USC? Uh, I talked to Coach Seth Dodge a lot. I did. I talked to Tony Coach because I talked to him a lot. Um, I got a chance to talk. With the head coach, boss man, Coach Clay Hilton, I had a chance to talk to him. Um, and he just, as I talked to Coach Dodge and Coach Hilton by myself, um, I had them, I had them FaceTime my parents without me in the room. I'd be even in a facility because I, I know I, this isn't for me, but at the end of the day, like I do take what my parents say into consideration very heavily. And so if if everything was cool with them, then I, I bet that's all I needed to hear. And then they told me, yeah, he's a good guy. He means well for you. He's done third, and the rest of it too. Great stuff. Well, let's kind of go back through your career to this point. I, obviously, when the news broke that you were transferring, did some research. and So, back in 2019, which was your best season at Texas, you were a receiver, right? And then you moved to tight end after that? Yeah. 
how, how did that move come about, and, and is that the position that you intend to stay at? You kind of mentioned the Drake London role. He's He's been called a receiver, but he kind of plays that flexed-out tight end role. Uh, do you see yourself as a tight end or a receiver? How, how do you classify it? I see myself more as a tight end, but, yeah, as far as the, the, the tight end move, I uh, actually talked to my – it was my old strength coach, old strength coach, Anthony McKnight, who used to be at Texas. And I told him after the bowl, and I was like, I think it's time for you to go to tight end. He's like, I, agree. I couldn't agree more. And so we talked about it. I put some weight on, and that was that on that. Um, but, yeah, I do see myself staying at tight end because I, I feel like me at the wide position – So kind of give me the self-scouting report on, on your game, on you as a tight end. What are opposing defenses going to see as they're scouting you? I can't tell y'all that. I just got to let y'all watch and see that. I can't, even, can't, can't give myself away like that. I just, I'm just going there to uh, try to make plays. That's all it is, too. That's what my dad told me. He said, wherever you go, you got to make plays. And I said, you know what? I, uh, that's why I'm going to try to make plays and put myself in a better position in the future. Good stuff. Well, just going back to the transition you made at Texas real fast, was it tough uh, putting on the extra weight, going from receiver to tight end, and and how frustrating was it kind of not seeing the same opportunity you had seen in 2019? Um, it wasn't hard putting on weight. In college, you're going to put on weight as long as you eat. And then I had a great nutritionist and, and Craig, I had great nutrition and Craig. That was, that's my guy. I probably still going to contact him even when I go to USC because that's just that's my guy. Um. He helped me put on weight easily, and I still felt fast at at two fifty, two fifty five. And as far as the, the opportunity to to see the field, it was just was I upset absolutely. But at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying. God has a plan for everybody, and if he, he felt like it wasn't my time to play, then it wasn't my time to play. And you went through spring ball with them, I assume, this spring. You kind of just kind of felt in the same situation coming out of spring. Um, I mean, and not really. I just, like I said, it was more than football. It was, it was more than football that. Uh, but I definitely went to the whole spring with my guys. I, I had to. I love every every tight end that takes the room was going to be a monster. Even the young ones, all of them are definitely capable of making it to the next level. Good deal. Well, just to close, let me go back to the relationship with Keontae. Uh, how did you all become close when you were teammates, and how, how has that relationship kind of developed over the years? Um... As a freshman, me and Keontae, we both had, we both freshman, our freshman, we both watered out. We went out, we always went out every chance we got. But as we got older and, you know what I'm saying, as we got older into the system and we was realizing that going out, you know what I'm it was cool or whatnot there once in a while, but not every weekend. And we became more of the laid back, chill type of guys who stayed in their room and just chilled out with everybody was going out. And we just had, we just sat, we just used to sit into the room and just talk and have deep conversations about everything. Not even football. We were just talking. And that, camaraderie I built with him because I matched him and um, also somebody that takes his name yeah I know him as the arm bandit but DeMarvin Overshawn um, I was just, we were just sitting talk, I was just sitting talking to dudes we just sitting talk all day every day not even about sports it's about family and everything so like Keontae is 
blood can make me and Cassie closer at this point. And it, when he left, even before you had made your own decision, were, were you guys, I assume, staying in touch pretty consistently? Yeah, I, I, I told him where he when I was going to support him, and then he told me he was going. I was like, all right, cool, brother. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to support you, whatever you do, and be there for you, however you need me to, whatever, call me. I can, you know what I'm saying? If you need me to do something for your family, call me. I'll I take that trip out there and help him out or anything like that. But yeah, we just, that's just my guy. Good stuff. So, so what's the timeline? When do you actually get to USC? Uh, June first. And have you been out here before? Or is it kind of be a, your first time? I have family. I have I have lots of family out there, and so and it's, um, I have a lot of family. So I'm not. I won't be completely lost, but I won't know where be near where I want to be. But give me a, about a two three weeks, and I'll be fine. Great stuff, Malcolm Epps. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely.